Jeff here. Thanks for listening. Go to playvolutionhq.com slash ccbag or click the link in the show notes for the show's archives, ways to connect, ways to support the show, information about happy hour, and more. I can do this. Welcome to the Child Care Bar and Grill Podcast, the world's longest running and most prolific early learning podcast. I'm Jeff Johnson coming to you from upstairs studio in the snuggery along the Gulf of Mexico with me, Tamar Jacobson. How you doing, Tamar? Hello, everybody. Glad doing to see well. you. And we've got an, we're doing another early learning journeys. We've got Stephanie Galloway with us. Um, Stephanie has been with me. Look, I've known Stephanie for a few months now. She fell into my life. Um, she she sent me an email that said nice things. It was it, Stephanie sent me an email that that was kind of scratching my ego behind its ears, and uh, and so I fell in love with Stephanie right away. And she's been doing some recording with me. Uh, she's been hanging out over at Play Haven, and she is a a delight delightful new addition to my life. And so I wanted to, to dig into her a little bit. Um, before we get going with uh, Stephanie's early learning journey, I've got a little bit of a bar and grill housekeeping to do. So back on episode 1058, Samantha and I did a an episode, episode called Hypothetical Childcare Bar and Grill Training Weekend, when we, uh, we discussed hypothetically getting together down here on the Gulf for a weekend and doing some training and some carousing and some some stuff I said if we had a if we had a, a handful of people go over to Playhaven and uh, voice their interest in making something like that a reality we'd set up a group and then and then see what we could piece together and there's been an official handful so um if you've listened to that episode and you want to come over to Playhaven and lurk and see what the uh the miscreants that are interested in getting together and hanging out or are thinking about you can you can do that it's myplayhaven.com is the site and uh you know, um, there's we haven't committed to anything yet, but it might be a chance for people to get together and talk early learning and probably do tequila shots. Um, I mean, you don't have to, but I think it's it's not it's not required, but I, I think it would happen. Um, anyway, that's that's what that's gonna be. Um, so Stephanie, we usually start these at the very beginning. Where where do you want to start? What's your What's your journey from there to here? Um, I guess the very beginning would be that I always wanted to be a teacher from the time I was very, I don't remember not wanting to be a teacher until I got to be a teacher. And then I was like, I'm not sure a teacher is what I want to call myself. But anyway, um, but I had my first official paid um, early childhood position at the age of nine. Um, I had a preschool slash whatever it was uh, fun on my back porch in my backyard in suburban Virginia. And all of the neighborhood children came and their parents paid me a dollar for the week. I was rich because there 
there were for for a nine-year-old i think i had 10 or 12 kids um and i thought this early childhood is how you make your money because <laughs> oh. i made 10 bucks what what does licensing think about that? Well, I think this was pre-licensing. <laughs> Pre-everything. Um, but what I remember about it, I did it for two years. Um, thanks to my mother was obviously very supportive and bought me all of the stuff. But even back then, it was based on play and exploration and um making stuff and we had a huge we had a fenced in like backyard that butted up against wood so it was, it was outside I mean my mother was like no they're not coming in the house even though these were all like kids from the neighborhood um so that kind of, I would say that's that set me off and I knew I the next year I charged a dollar a day so I was really rich you're um, really roll, rolling in it what rolling. did you what did you do with the cash um bought construction paper and glue and my own set of scissors and and bought stuff to use um with the with the kids and and probably a, a dollar a puppet if I had left over I don't I don't really remember but um how old were the children um they were younger than me so, so they were uh, you know between I think four and six or seven Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. A nine-year-old taking, you must've been a mature nine-year-old. Well, I, I mean, my mother was there. Let's be clear about this. She, <laughs> she was in the background, but she knew I had done nothing but play school for, since I was, before I went to school. And so she was very, very supportive. My parents were always supportive of any of my weird ideas. It was summer. We had a great big, long back porch and, and we just did it. And I, it was, it was, I I know I still have the pictures somewhere. I took pictures with my little Kodak Instamatic camera, and I know that somewhere in some box they are there. But um, it just that's how I started out a long time ago. Oh my gosh! If you find any of those pictures, please post them at the Playhaven site because I wanna I wanna see those. That sounds delightful. Um, so from the from the very beginning, you you decided this is what you want you wanted to do. Um, what how was what was what kind of kid were you besides apparently very responsible um i was a i played i played outside i i was a doll person i had i was a pretend play person make believe was my forte i read and i pretended and um did and 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 hung out outside and dug through stuff and for a while I wanted to be maybe an archaeologist or a paleontologist I was into fossils and rocks and that stuff too but also um and it was all tied in I mean I would make up stories about being you know like a detective and finding this great stuff and mysteries in the woods and with friends so yeah I, that's I all, all honestly, everything that I am now, I was then, and it was really? supported by, by a family that I know I was very, very lucky to have a family that said, "You do you." We don't really get it a lot of the time, but. <laughs> but Were you but, an only child? No, my sister um, also had the same kind of uh, support and diametrically opposed. She became a very um a scientist um and worked for oil companies and very well off and took a i mean was 
completely different, not a very social person, was very, very, she was artistically talented, she was sports talented. And they they had these two kids. I mean, all the pictures of us when we were little are just like, are these really related, these two. Um, we we're just two and a half years apart. Um, but we Are you they, the eldest? Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and they supported both of us. So very, very great. Was your little sister in your summer preschool program? And did you get a buck a week off your parents? <laughs> I'm sure I did not get a buck a week off my parents. And, and she probably was. I don't remember her being there. That's <laughs> <I'm> interesting. Sure. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? <laughs> um, but I'm sure that, that uh, I mean, if she was there. She probably, because she was, you know, that much younger, she was probably in the, her friends were probably, her neighborhood friends were probably in, in there too. So I'm sure she sure. was there. I was. Did you teacher. like her? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, we're very, I mean, we're very different, but we always got along. We still get along. I mean, were you pleased that she was born? I'm um, looking at pictures, maybe not. Um, <laughs> but but I don't have any rem- me- memories of not being pleased. Right, right. Well, what, what do you mean looking at pictures, maybe not? Um, there are quite a few pictures of us in when she was an infant and I was a two-year-old that... Um, I didn't have the most pleasant, loving expression on my face. A <laughs> kind of what is that in what my, is in my house? Kind of look <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, and how about today? Have you got a good relationship today? Yes, it's 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 good. Yeah, I mean, we we continue to be extremely different in our approaches to the world. And so it it makes for interesting conversations sometimes. So well, what you was... sound very diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fine. <laughs> but it's, I'm just observing. <laughs> what what was school like? What kind of student you talked about you you run in your own program when you're when you're nine, but what was what kind of student were you when you had to go to school? I was a very good student and I loved school with my whole heart and soul. And I hung out with my teachers after school and I took all of their junk that they wanted to throw away so I could bring it home and use it for my own teaching. Now I, 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 again, I was really lucky. Like I, people say, Oh, you know, you're so good at this. It was like, I somehow I had the mind brain that worked well in school. I loved very verbal, obviously. And um, so reading came easily to me. Um, School came easily getting along. I was a suck up to teachers. I just like, I, I had, I was a good student in kindergarten. I had a few, I did talk to, I got put in a garbage can actually in kindergarten because uh, by my uh, probably the best teacher I ever had in my life. She was a, a grad student of Maria Montessori. We were in Sweden and, and Mrs. Dietze, um, cause I couldn't stop talking. She picked me up and put me in the garbage can, which when I think about it from an early childhood perspective, I was like, what a horrible, horrible, abusive thing to do. But she was the most loving person. I just, I remember the dress I had on when I was in the garbage can though. So so I wasn't well, I mean, ever heard such a thing. I've never heard such a thing. Right? I know. <laughs> and you still like her. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I still, um, I, you know, I mean, we, she kept in touch with my parents with our, like, I, I mean, I was a, not a young adult the last time I had contact with her. Well, uh, I, I think that kind of thing, it really depends on the relationship, right? 
There you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, no, I, I, I adored her. Everybody adored her. She was both the, the kindergarten teacher and the, the headmistress of the international school there. And I never, you know, I mean, and, and I didn't, she took taught some really lessons that as a five-year-old that you don't have a lot of distinct memories most people but some of my most distinct memories were in in that kindergarten class with her did, did you say this was in sweden or she was from sweden it was in sweden i lived in stockholm so, okay so <laughs> you're you're in sweden when you're in kindergarten and then did you say virginia when you're nine yeah, so we went to Iran when I was two and a half, and I went to preschool. Oh, hey, oh boy, gotta, yeah, okay. Now. I didn't know you want to go that far back. Yeah, I I love my country's flag, the red, the white, the green. Um, my parents, my dad was in the embassy, and so that was a great song to sing at cocktail parties. What I learned in in um, Mrs. Heckmott's nursery school in Iran. Then I went to Sweden for two and a half years, came back to the states for um, elementary, the rest of elementary school, and part of junior high. And then we, I lived in Finland um, from the time I was 13 to 17 and then back to Virginia. Wow. I, I, I'd like to sort of hear more about all of that, but I want to talk about that garbage can. Will you <laughs> just for a second? Um, she didn't put a lid on top. No, no, it was a, you know, I mean, I was a, a tall five-year-old. I, I mean, it didn't come up to, maybe it came up to my knees. Um, but it was, it was a big metal, like greeny gray metal garbage can that, that you used to see like, in like the classroom so you trash were standing cans. In it? Yeah, she picked me up and put me in it. And how long did you stand in it? Not very long. I have no balance. I'm sure I would have tipped over. <laughs> not not long. I mean, it wasn't like a timeout thing. She just put me in and she said, I, I I think I don't have a clear I remember being in the can I don't remember like exactly what she said but it had to do with me talking too much and not being able to do it self-regulation <laughs> apparently at five I had some issues um uh -huh. so but and it how, did not how did you get out of it I mean what, what did she say okay you can come out now I think she picked me up and took me out gave I me see. a hug I mean, I, I, you know, I, I just remember the dress I had on the garbage can smocked, <laughs> distinctive. It didn't feel traumatic, though. And I think I mean, the fact that I remember it means that it, it had an emotional impact, I'm sure. But right. I think, as Jeff said, I had such a good relationship with her that I didn't perceive it. As, I was embarrassed a little bit, but I didn't feel the. I, I don't remember feeling humiliated because I knew she loved uh -huh. me. I knew that uh -huh. it was a message. I have put kids in garbage cans before, Tamar. Really? Yes. Um, uh, usually eight to 13 year old boys back in my community center director days um, as part of the roughhousing, goofing around stuff that dudes tend to do um it wasn't standing it'd pick them up and then just kind of put them in there with their 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 butt down in the the, the kind of the big plastic garbage cans um just not not anything going uh going around other than than being fucking goofy um and it was delightful mm. For everybody I involved. See. Oh, that mm, sounded very judgmental tell me no tell me. i just i just <laughs> i've never heard of it that's all 
no, I mean, we're just playing around. Um, and, and of course, then half a dozen of them would try to do the same thing to me. And that would get even more ruckus. And um, just that's very good. different, though, to what happened. To well, yeah, to yeah, yeah. But still garbage can based. Has loose parts. Yeah, oh yeah. Hadn't thought about it in twenty years. That uh, that's fond memories. Um, but I think America. I think this, I think this teacher could have been doing doing kind of the same thing, um, not as a punishment or not as you're an evil child, but as girl, I've had enough of you at this moment. Plop, um, and then on with the day. Mm-hmm. I mean. I, I, what are your memories of Iran? Do you remember that that preschool, that uh, nursery school? I mean, I probably it's very difficult for me to to distinguish what are real memories and what are stories that have been told uh-huh. Uh-huh. and better pictures. My dad was a, a avid photographer. I mean, we have everything is recorded in stills and you know movies and all right. that. It's kind of mushed. Um, I remember the woman, it was Mrs. Heckmont's nursery school. It was primarily, I think it was both, there were some Iranian children there. A lot of it, like, obviously, because we love the country's flag, the red, the right, the white, the green. Um, the Shah was still under in control at that time. Uh-huh. It was in the early 50s. Um, a lot of diplomats' kids were there. And I remember, I did not know my right from my left, which um, is typical developmentally appropriate for that age, obviously, but as somebody who is left-handed and somewhat clumsy, it became an issue um, Uh for me. Um, Yeah. I don't, I don't have, you know, I just remembered singing and dancing and um, that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Finland, and then we'll get back to your emotional development. I, I do have a counter story to the garbage can because she also <laughs> sent me a whole nother path too. Um, in Finland, I went. Good, good. I want to hear that too. Okay. <laughs> um, we left, uh, I moved there in eighth grade and in eighth and ninth grade, um, I went to a English speaking school run by American nuns for Finns to help them learn English. Um, it was wonderful. And I would say the best teacher I ever had probably at any level was one of those nuns um, and uh, just inspired me tremendously, not only to be a writer and to to love history and to be organized in my thinking, but also to um, be a teacher Uh um, because Sister Renee was so fabulous. Um, Then the, um, it only went up to ninth grade or 10th grade and then 10th grade they were really preparing the Finns for taking their exams at that time and so my parents decided that uh, it was the curriculum really wasn't going to do me much as an American who was going to go back to school in the states and so they put me enrolled me in a German speaking school same deal run by Germans but for Finns because nobody in the world speaks Finnish so that Finns would learn uh, German from from kindergarten on and that was a challenge um, because I did not speak German. Um, so I had my ninth, or 10th and 11th grade years at a school learning German with mostly Finns. Um, and that's um, why I'm not too good at chemistry, physics, and geometry, because I didn't speak that I got so I was I was a teenage girl. I wanted I got the social language down pat pretty fast, but just so I could have friends. But the 
academic, not so much. Um, so middle school, early high school age, your parents decide, hey, let's send her to a school where she doesn't speak the language. Yeah, because That's the alternative, <laughs> the alternative was to send me away to boarding school, which is what a lot of the people, um, Americans and, and Brits in the uh -huh. embassy sent their kids to boarding schools. And my parents probably knew me well enough to know that that was a really bad oh, idea. <laughs> um, but so, this, go ahead. I'm sorry. How, how did that, I mean, initially, I've never been a teenage girl before, but how did the, initially, how did that decision, how did you respond to that decision initially? Was it like, yeah, okay. Um, was it a new, exciting challenge for you or was there pushback or how did you? I mean, I pushed back mostly because I thought going away to boarding school sounded really fun. Sure. Um, I had plenty of, of uh, all of my English friends went to boarding schools already from the time they were little. And so it, it just sounded like a riot. I just thought that sounded like much more fun than um, living at home. But um, after that, I mean, I just, I, I jumped in, I learned German to the best that I could. People were very kind. Um, the teachers were like, all right, she's an American her dad's in the embassy I guess we got to kind of be nice to her um but I think what the biggest thing that happened to me in that school was that I mean this was in the 60s in Germany or in Finland and so I mean it, World War II was not a distant memory it was very much a part of that ethos. It was also in the 60s when all of uh, Vietnam and civil rights and everything was going on in this country. And I have, because they were Finns who were learning German and a lot of them had German like backgrounds and uh, somewhere in there. Um, and I was an American. I mean, they called me uh, Yankee girl um, and they accused me of killing Martin Luther King. And they called me racisty, fascisty, racist, fascist. And um, I mean, these are my friends, uh, <laughs> some of whom I'm still friends with. So it, it has a happy ending. But what it did for me as a human and as a, an educator is it helped me understand what being other was in a very visceral level. And I, I mean, nobody had ever talked to me like I was Stephanie. <laughs> People don't talk to me like that. I was a good kid. And it was um, it was really impactful because it made me aware of what was going on, first of all, in the States, which as a young teenager who you know didn't read the newspapers and all that kind of was reading 16 magazine, not like not the New York Times. I really wasn't too tuned in to um, what was going on socially in this country. And I didn't really understand racism or um sexism or or any of the isms that were being just blasted up and I had to I found I had to really I had I learned more and and just that feeling of being other I didn't speak the language I mean I think for thinking about working with children who who for whom English is a second or a third language I um, mean it, it helped me to be much more empathetic because I was there I you know I, I didn't the Finns spoke German they spoke Finnish, they spoke Swedish, and they spoke quite a bit of English. And I spoke English in like 67 words in German when I started there. And my Finnish 
was good enough to get me like on a bus and home. And so they could talk about me in, in, in pick a language, any language, and she won't, she won't know what we're saying. And, and it, yeah, I was the ugly American and uh, for a while it took, it took a while to crack through that, but it, it is something I've carried with me my whole life. And I think it has made me committed to social justice and to, from the time I got back to the States, I was just like, why don't these people like, why are, why are high school students interested in football and, and like cars and boys when they should be really concerned about the fact that 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 there's injustice in the world so i think it really positively impacted me as a as a something i've always carried with me as a teacher it as shaped well. you it shaped it, you. it absolutely shaped me mm -hmm. you know i mean I, I actually told a finnish friend of mine that i've been in contact with for since the internet like allowed us to find each other again that you know like thank you so much for calling me racist defascist racist fascist because it made me such a much better person and mm -hmm. aware yeah. of of what other people might feel like when when they were other. So. Well, yeah, yeah, that, that's an amazing story, and it it's, it just goes to show um, how much our you know early experiences form us. I have but to I, ask. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Ca carry on. Oh well, no. I have to. This might be the most important question that's ever been asked on this podcast, <laughs> as. As a uh, as a teenager growing up, sixties, um, Beatles or the Stones? Oh, Beatles! <laughs> Absolutely. Are you a forty nine? Did you hear that shitty new song? I haven't. I I have, of course. Uh, I haven't. Uh, don't don't bother. Um, okay. Um, uh, so, are you a forty niner actually? Who the what? Are Are you born forty nine? No, 54. Oh, okay. Um, so, but I, I was still a, I, yeah, Beatles, 100% Beatles. all the way. Yeah. Okay. Well, I still like, I still like you both a lot anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had Beatles wallpaper. Oh, oh my. <laughs> you win. <Let> <laughs> <laughs> which 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 one was your favorite which beetle was my favorite yes which beetle george tamar you know that's a very interesting question i liked george a lot um i think i liked john lennon yeah okay. but i liked george a lot um yeah Paul McCartney yeah. had the same birthday as I am, and I've always felt guilty. And now he's like one of the only ones. Paul or Ringo? Who's your favorite? Who's still standing? <laughs> yeah, poor, poor, poor Ringo probably probably uh, comes in comes in fourth on uh, on all the lists of the favorites, right? He's kind of first right now because everything he does is like peace and love, peace and love. Every time I see him on any kind of, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, Stephanie, uh, well, back you, you said you. You said you had something good to say about that Swedish uh, teacher who had put you in the garbage yes. can. And actually, she was German. Uh, Mrs. Dietze, Gisela Dietze was her name. And she was uh, like, uh, she was a grad student of Maria Montessori, which I think is just once I got into early childhood, I was like, wow. Um, right. the, the good thing is the very first day of kindergarten, she had for 
years, decades, I don't know how long she was there, um, had all of the students draw a portrait of her. Oh. And um, I have still zero artistic skills, representational skills in the graphic arts. And so I was drawing my little picture and I screwed it up and I scribbled it out and I flipped the paper over and then I drew a, a picture of her on the front. And her, um, she's very tall, posing woman and she wore her hair in this great big bun on the back of her head. And we took our little pictures up to her and she said, oh, that's so nice, that's so nice. And And she looked at mine and she flipped it over and she said, what's this? on the back. And I said, it's your bun. <laughs> and she said, oh, in all of the years that I've never, I've, I've done this, no one has ever put the bun on the back of my head where it actually is. I put it on top and on the side and, oh, this is, and she made me like walk around the whole school, like showing this brilliant artistic talent who had put her bun in the proper place. And what it, I had not done that intentionally and it was only in the spur of the moment when she asked me about it that I made that connection. And so that lesson that has been served me so well is when you make mistakes, that's the root of creativity, of, of thinking, of problem solving, right. Of, right. Of, of all the good stuff. And so, and that like consistently through my, my childhood and adulthood, when I screw up and make a mistake, it's an invitation for like, okay, great. This is, you know, and, and I think that's at the age of five, what a powerful lesson. It certainly was one that when I was working with, with young children all the time, as well as with college students, it, it was something I think is important for us all to, to keep in mind. And I, I it like was that transformational. So that's what that's an amazing part. story. Yeah. That's an amazing story. Yeah, very wonderful person. I'm so very so grateful that even though she put me in the garden, <laughs> also inspired me. So archaeology was something you liked? Was oh, that uh, what you said? Or, or pa paleontology? Both, any of the ologies. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bio, I mean, I had a microscope when I was in elementary school and like got to look at blood because there it was this pre-AIDS and we didn't, didn't worry about it. And I was, for a while, I thought I'd be a biologist or archaeologist or paleontologist or- So I, why I was, teaching? I mean, you made big bucks. Nobody ever paid me money to look at under a microscope <laughs> and blood in a classroom. <laughs> no, I, I, I think <laughs> teaching- <laughs> I mean, I made $10 in a week. Good grief. <laughs> Why would you not do that? And that never changed. Well, okay, I'll mean, be serious, if, Stephanie. Well, I mean, seriously, if you if you if you consider the the inflation, $10 back then is is uh that's pretty good bank. It it might be close to minimum wage now. So I mean you were you're probably you're probably doing well. But tomorrow wants to be serious. So we're gonna be serious about it. I don't believe it. That that's a baloney answer. I think that, as I said, I never thought I wanted to do anything but teach. And I had these other thoughts, but I was like, oh, and I could do both. I mean, it was never like I, or I'm really interested in this, 
And, but you know what, you can be a teacher and be interested in biology. You can be a teacher and do this stuff. You can be a teacher and still have, uh, you know, all of these explorations. And so you, so you thought logically like that? Well, I, I never did anything that until I got to college, I never did anything that made me move away. I, I guess uh -huh. I never thought I would do anything, but but teach, even though I had these other interests and thought that would be fun and then looked into it. And I thought, yeah, not, not really. I think I must've thought, I don't know. I don't remember thinking logically about much of anything, but, um, right. Right. I did, not, I did not pursue anything besides education until I got to college. And then I decided that I didn't really like the program at the college that I chose and that I didn't want to be, I didn't want to go through an education program at the college. So I um, did nothing but work with kids while I was there, but I was a psychology major instead uh -huh. of an education major. Which you didn't like the education much. program because? Um, two things. One is I thought the head of it was an idiot, which is, you know, as, as a 19 year old, you know, these things about people who are wise. Um, sure. <laughs> It's like, yeah, I didn't like it. It was like kind of a jerk. I don't know. Um, and the other thing was that the program, I mean, it was a liberal arts college and uh, Allegheny College in Meadville, Pennsylvania. And it, um, a wonderful school, but the education program, you actually went and it was a five-year program and you spent your student teaching and uh, your master's degree in Cleveland. And um, I had a, I, I had a boyfriend why would you, why would I want to go to Cleveland? Which, yeah. So I just decided I would become a um, psychology major and stay and not go through the education program. And I, that's where I discovered Piaget. And that was also a pivotal, I didn't have a traditional teaching background until much later. I'd already worked with kids for 10 or 15 years before I decided that certified teachers made actual more than $10 a week. And that, um, and it, it was because, so I went into it from a developmentalist point of view rather than a, um, a teacher point of view, teaching point of view. Pedagogy, I, pedagogy, yeah. yeah. And that was- If you were assessing that original teaching program now, a few of at least a few decades later um would you assess it the same way you did as a 19 year old um or no it was a great it... program <laughs> i mean i have all kinds of friends who graduated from it and they became wonderful educators um so it was a fabulous program and um i just for me I, it took me in a completely different direction because of my passion for constructivism and my ability to shape. It was a college that let you learn. I connected what I was I volunteered at a childcare center that had a very um, socially social justice focused in the community. It was um, started by people who wanted, and back then there wasn't really that much childcare in, in small towns. Um, so it, it, it allowed me to really focus on learning how kids think, learn, develop and play, as opposed to what I was going to give them to help them to learn. 
And I think that that was um, very instrumental in, in the educator that I continued to be, even when I jumped through the hoops and became a, a certified teacher and did that for a while. Um, just because I think development is what we need to be paying attention to, not the rest of it. When what? I when I um, decided to retire, it was I had taken a sabbatical as chair of the department, and when I came back, they had scrapped the child development course, and um, I thought, oh, I think I'm going to have to retire pretty soon. <laughs> I mean, I got it back just for the early childhood program, but uh, they were thinking that it wasn't it wasn't important, and uh, and that was the thinking that has now gone all the way through, because it's become so structured. It's, I, you see I mean, thing. why would anybody want to understand child development? Um, you mentioned the boyfriend that kept you from going to Cleveland. Yep. Um, yep. I, gotta, I wanted to, I wanted to ask that too. I got to ask, was he a shepherd? Because <laughs> when Tamar, Tamar, Tamar dated a shepherd. Um, so <laughs> I, I just got to know what this boyfriend was like to see if, uh, how he compares. He wasn't, a, he wasn't a shepherd. He was a statistician, but he was looking after the sheep on the kibbutz. Oh, I, I don't think I don't think you ever told the statistician statistician part. I think we, he, only told the he, was, he was a shepherd. I followed him into the fields, and he was the sheep behind him. Oh, you really were listening. I had forgotten about that, Jeff. So let, well, let's hear about this boyfriend. Yeah, was he all yeah. that? Was he was he all that? He was not a shepherd, and he was not a st statistician. He was, <laughs> he was he was a hippie. And um, did he look like George? Never put that together, <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> that might have been it. <laughs> Are you still with him? No, no, <laughs> but I'm still I'm still friends with him. So that's yeah. that's the good part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's like so. So you mentioned <laughs> other than you, you, you had your nine-year-old program of your own. You volunteered in a in a in a program. What other what other contact with actual human children were you having um, outside of outside of your formal education through this? Because you said like you had fifteen years of of kind of experience with kids. Were you volunteering at other places or what was going um, on? Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I taught Sunday school. I did babysitting. I did that stuff. Um, and then when I um, after I got out of college, all I wanted to do was teach young children. I was really not interested in in teaching elementary school kids at all at that point. So yeah, I worked in a a, a child a magical, the most magical place I've ever been part of, seen, observed in um, a place called um, the Children's School of Cabrini College. Um, right after college, I had two years there, which introduced me to storytelling and to um, multi-age grouping. And again, I just, I mean, I was working in a Woolworths lunch counter when I got the job opportunity. So, it, you know, I just, things have just fallen into place so that the parts of my philosophy of education have, have developed in a pretty organic way because of wonderful experiences that I was able to take advantage of. And we did, I mean, it was emergent curriculum. It was, I mean, nobody talked said the word but the woman the director of the pro this program was from um england and the um had her background in the british infant school system which was very child focused very uh, the arts um i mean it was it was a great great 
program. It was set in the woods. We did gardening with kids. We, you know, it was just a wonderful program. I went, ended up going back there um, 20 years later as director and it had changed somewhat. The roots were still there, but it had, it had become a lot more. And as it, yeah, it was not it quite, it, it wasn't as magical, but it was still close to it as magical that philosophy had, had, maintained even after Eve left so I identify with that so much because my 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 background I, I studied uh, early childhood in Israel and that the whole philosophy there was the British infant schools and it was it was phenomenal mm-hmm. yeah, it was yeah. uh, when I when I came to America I was in such a state of shock I couldn't believe what I saw here um yes. yeah and yeah. you've been in, been a state of shock ever since huh <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> Stephanie. I got to ask Woolworth's lunch counter. What kind of what kind of pie was there? A pie? Oh, there was. And I'm trying to remember. I remember the stickiness on my hands. Is all I can read. Maybe no. You, there was pie, but it was banana splits that I had to make that were ah. like sticks in my head the most. Um, and, <laughs> Yeah. All right. Okay. I could go with a banana split. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're out of college now. What What's going on? You're working in a pro. You've okay. worked in that program. How in this program for a couple of years? Um, it was wonderful. Um, moved back across the state with your hippie. Um, to my hippie. My <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And actually, my goal was to write a fairy tale. I bought a log cabin in the woods that was at the roots of a beech tree. And I was going to write a a fairy tale curriculum. This is like, this is a long time ago, Jeff, from 1978, um, about like that would go through, that would tie in nature and fairy tales and storytelling and the arts. And this would be like this year-long story that would be about this little troll girl living at the roots of a beech tree in this log cabin and then I discovered that living without running water or heat was <laughs> was harder than than that I wanted to have a child care center in there but again not having water was not it was it was even before regulations it was and there were regulations by that time um but yeah it was like I couldn't get a parent to say sure we'd love to have you come take care of our three-year-old without water so um, I worked in another I, I worked in another child care center for a number of years when I realized that that dream was not a good realistic it's a little unrealistic I mean it's, it sounds like Waldorf but there's water. There's water. <laughs> there is Waldorf schools. I know, I know. But you know, yes. they use fairy tales. They yes. they use fairy tales, and they like that sort of organic mm-hmm. feeling that you were that you were talking about. So you and, were influenced by a lot of stuff. Yeah, and actually, one of the um, the where, the place that I was in outside of Philadelphia at the children's school, one of the teachers there um, was very much interested in Waldorf and ended up going through the the program at Spring Garden after after I left the the um, and moved back. So yes, Waldorf was very much a part of that as well. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wow, what an interesting background. My goodness. So so yeah. when did you get rid of the hippie? <laughs> <laughs> when the hippie became it became clear that the hippie living in a log cabin in the woods without water and without 
was not my life partner. <laughs> Dirty stinking Hickby, huh? Oh, shame. <laughs> yeah, nice man. Not a hard worker. And you know what? I mean, it, I, it was it was a very challenging year. I, I did end up getting water. I did end up getting heat, but it wasn't it. it nothing was easy. And um, and 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 I realized that I needed some a partner who was willing to kick in a little bit and not just be a nice guy. That, yeah. You know. doing a, was it was it weed, weed or LSD? Weed or LSD? Was he, uh, huh? What? I, I'm sorry. Was it was it weed or LSD that was keeping him uh laying on the, laying on the floor under? Yeah. Okay. Much much stuff. Okay. Much stuff, okay. Including yeah. personality. So. Yeah. <laughs> Probably personality the major reason. I, I think the personality Probably. because there's some things that have not changed a whole lot. So. Yeah, because I mean, if you you know if you got a strong personality and you're really in love, then who cares about water and heat? Oh my God. Yeah, I found, <laughs> I, found I did. <laughs> All right, so you you kick the you kick the hippie to the curb, and then, and and then I continued my progress through. I was still working in a childcare center in this little town, and found um, that's when the shock started to hit it, kick in. I mean, I it, the social justice place had morphed into a place where if you, I mean, we had to wear mini skirts and, um, high heels to work because the director was that kind of guy. And, um, I was like, no, I, no. He was like, oh, you have to wear dresses. I'm like to work with three-year-olds. Are you kidding? Anyway, that was also a influential time because I was told that my philosophy was fine for middle-class children, but that these kids who mm. were primarily African-American and not and, and from lower socioeconomic um, families, they needed to learn their ABCs and not just go out and touch a freaking leaf. That was the exact quote. And I, again, it hit me as, I mean, I'm still getting goosebumps. I'm like, <laughs> because it was very pivotal because I thought, well, I know that that's not true because if you believe in development, all children need to play, all children need to explore, all children need to have connection and have stories and have fun. And like, what is this like, and I think that attitude has persisted throughout oh. our systems. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I've, I've been advocating against in any way that I can since that time. And I was, you know, what, 22, 23 years old. And it was just like, oh, this is, this is, you talk about social justice. This is a social justice issue that children who who don't have well who everybody you know the play is only for those who who we know are going to be successful anyway um so yeah that was a influential but I continued there I you know kept kids and then I went to delinquents not um, not only has that persisted it's metastasized into now we've got these programs that 
claim to be play-based where they're doing this bullshit that is absolutely not play, but they're calling it play. Um, and and it's it's really to further this push towards that formal academics. And 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 there are a lot of low-income, uh, especially black and brown kids, that's the way it is, that are that are being deprived of real play because of the same bullshit you were dealing with back then. God damn it, that pisses me off. Uh sorry, Tamar. I just got a little bit emotional. No, no, that's true. And you know, it's 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 so it's so much the fault of the administration that doesn't support developmentally, you know, appropriate stuff. Because when I was director of the University of Buffalo Child Care Centers, I had many parents who were African-American who came to me very disturbed that we played and did, you know, emergent curriculum. And I took them seriously and I gave them articles to read and I sat and talked with them and they never left the program. And some even came back and thanked me afterwards. So, you know, it's really up to... (laughs) administration to understand that and support the teachers but it's getting less and less and it's so difficult it's so difficult yeah, yeah, because there's a lot of push from the from the local school districts and 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 other pressure sources to, I mean, quality rating systems and yeah. and the like that are that are pushing that same that same People line. Who don't they don't know that you know they yeah. don't have the background or, or expertise, or they know and they don't give a fuck. <gasps> I don't think that's the case. I think there are probably plenty of people that are are. I have to get uh, my smelling salts. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. All this <laughs> language. I have. Oh, dear. Okay. I think there's a lot of people acting maliciously in the early learning field, but I'm kind of an asshole. So you know, what are you going to do? You're not oh. at all. You're not at all. You care about children. Well, I mean, you can care about children and still be an asshole tomorrow. That's no, perfect. it doesn't go together. <laughs> Oh, okay. Stephanie, so, I'm that, wondering when you're talking, I'm wondering how I've never met you. I I know. Jeff was like, oh, you must know Tamar because she's in Pennsylvania. And, and and I live in Westfield, New York now. I'm an hour west of Buffalo. So I don't know why. I lived in Buffalo for 17 years. I, I just moved here in 2020. So I was in, oh. I had my entire career in Pennsylvania, but I bounced around a lot. Um, Apparently. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Me too. I also bounced around a lot, I Um, suppose. um, But I didn't, I didn't, um, I entered higher ed not until 2002, I think 2002, or yeah, yeah, 2002. I haven't always been in higher ed. But I was in, yeah, I don't know. I guess I was, I, well, I mean, this is not part of the program, but oh boy, I want to keep in touch. Thank you. I want to keep in touch too. <laughs> well, it's definitely anyway, part of the program because I'm not editing anything. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I think Jeff, I mean, whether we want to attribute um, bad intentions or uh, I, I think that the lack of understanding of the importance of child development, it, it underlies a lot of higher ups not not really getting and not being able to support teachers um as Bruce Bruce Perry says that we're a child illiterate society that's a beautiful way of saying I mean a sad but Mm -hmm. 
accurate way of saying it. Um, and, and how do how do those people that have no no foundation in child development get to be quote unquote higher ups in an educational system? It's a lot of a lot of bullshit there too. Um, I, I have a theory about that. Just real quick, I think that people who really love children often don't. I mean, don't go into in, in like in public school administration. Sure. Um, that that right. they're the ones who, who who rise to principals and on up. Not always, but a, a lot of times that if right. you're passionate about kids and you want to learn more about them, then maybe you want to do that instead of yeah. control that. Anyway, do you yeah. have children? I do. I have two. Uh, my son is forty, and my daughter is thirty-four. And they're both. And where are they? Um, oddly. <laughs> I moved here because I found this fairy tale cottage in the woods and um, my daughter moved back um, to be closer and from Colorado and married a wonderful man. So he, she's about an hour away from me in Ellicottville, if you're familiar with the Buffalo. Yes, area. absolutely. Yeah. And my son ended up, I uh, thought he was going to decide he was in San Francisco and he moved back to be closer to family as well. So he's about an hour in another direction. So they're both for the first time in their adult lives um, are living really close to me. So or, how wonderful it is. It is wonderful. Either um, of them educators? No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> any of them paleontologists? No. <laughs> um, my, my son is a brilliant technology person. Mm -hmm. um, at a level that I cannot understand and haven't been able to understand since he was probably about 14. Um, my daughter is in marketing and the vacation rental business is kind of where she landed, which as a teenager is at like 12, like 11, 12, 13 year old. Um, I, they, they always had play boxes. I mean, you know, like this stuff. And she and her friends for years played hotel and restaurant with all of the play props that we would gather. And as teenagers, they went to the basement because they didn't want anybody to know that they were actually still doing pretend play. But <laughs> she, she said to me a couple of years ago, she said, don't you think it's kind of weird that I'm like doing this, what I'm doing now I'm in this industry. And, and that's all we did because you had these boxes with cash registers and, and all of the, the cool props and you just let us continue to play. So yeah. Frank that's Lloyd Wright played with blocks. Yep. <laughs> Does your son work with technology involving putting space lasers on the heads of sharks or anything like that? Well, <laughs> no, but okay. he did write a program the last time he came up and spent a while talking to me about what he was playing with. He wrote a program where he could track um, all kinds of air traffic with an app on his phone that other people couldn't track. And he would get he can get notifications now on his phone when there's an airplane flying overhead, which I'm not really sure why you would want to do that. Um, but it was it was he was like, okay, mom, there's 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 a plane that just took off from Erie International and it's flying, it'll be flying over here in 10 minutes. And I'm like, whoopee, <laughs> that'll help. <laughs> I think it would help if like you're in a war zone. 
It would. And, and so he's, he's interested in security and he does, he does stuff that you would absolutely love Jeff. I just don't know enough about it to, to talk about it, but it does not involve sharks okay. or traps okay. or any of that. Anyway. Where are we on your journey yet? Um, okay. So after being in early childhood, for... no, no, like, tell me, tell me what year we're up to. Ah. I bounced, I bounced. So we're talking about the, now we're looking at like eighties. Um, I was in working in early childhood um, in childcare. And then I um, decided that um, adolescent adjudicated adolescents were really interesting because the man that I ended up um, marrying was working with the the um, teens in this residential treatment facility. I found it fascinating. Um, and so I thought, but wait, those teens are actually behaving socially and emotionally the way that I know three and four year olds do. I know developmentally that's what is going on. And so I got really intrigued. And so for about... 10 years, I bounced back and forth. I had my own children like and took some time off in there, but I, I bounced back and forth a lot between working with preschoolers and working with adjudicated teens. And all right. All right. Time out. Time out. Um, I, I'm going to have more questions about that because uh, um, yeah. Um, let's wrap up this episode and then we'll have to, because there's no way we're going to squeeze the rest of you into into five minutes. So let's use that as a tease for coming back. Now, give us give us one more tease about something that happens in the uh, in the '90s in your life um, that we can tease listeners with. Um, in the nineties in my life, I actually got certified finally. I got my master's first and then I got, went back and got certified to teach in a public school and taught in, um, taught kindergarten, first grade and sixth grade in a public school setting and continued to make trouble. Good. Okay. Trouble. Now, now give me a tease from the two thousands. Um, I worked in, uh, early intervention and as a service coordinator and in the early in 2002 i got lucky enough to get a job teaching uh, education and early childhood at a community college and that's where i ended up spending the rest of my career was uh, helping teachers become radical play people and cut with knives with young children and things like that <laughs> <laughs> hey, listener. So we'll be back with parts. How exciting! Two, parts two through seven of Stephanie. <laughs> it sounds like um, we're going to wrap it up now. Stephanie, this was as delightful as I thought it was going to be. Absolutely. And I'm glad I got to spend an hour with the two of you because I have been um, disappointed with the human race for the last uh, last couple of weeks, and I've been report re re, re looking forward to this because I, I I knew you guys would brighten my day. Uh, I hope they did the same for you, listeners. This has been the Child Care Bar and Grill Podcast, the world's longest money running and most prolific early learning podcast that wants you to let kids cut with knives. Back soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production.